Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Faith and Justice. My name is Boston. My pronouns are he, him. And I'm Lyndon. Pronouns he, him, the other co-host. Today we wanted to talk about mental health and wellness, well-being, self-care. Just sort of our, maybe our experiences with it or our methods of, of taking care of ourselves. Me as a student and Lyndon as a pastor. Um... So one thing I'll say right off the bat is the mental health sort of resources at the university are not super, they're not super robust. I mean, I I have tried to go to therapy there. I mean, I went for about, about a year I was going to therapy at UVic, Um, but it was quite difficult to get in. Um, you know, there are over 20,000 students at the university, and I don't know how many therapists there are, but there's definitely not enough for the 21,000 students. I, I remember the therapist that I was going to, every time I would go and see her, it was like, you know, we'd get done done with an appointment, and she'd say, okay, let, let's book in for the next one. Uh, how does, like, seven to eight weeks sound? And it was like, uh, that's, I mean... It's better than nothing, but it's not that good, you know? Um, and so I have really had to find my own sort of DIY methods of self-care at, at home. Um, but it's kind of tough. It, it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes. Um, you know, as a, you know, busy, I'm a busy student. And so sometimes it almost feels like, oh, like, can I really fit in, you know, like 20 minutes of, of rest or relaxation or like, you know, just, just taking a minute. Um, I know one thing that sort of always helps me is just, I know it sounds super almost simple. It's kind of silly, but it really helps is I, I've often like my phone, me and my girlfriend bought a little, it's like a little jail cell we put our phones in the little jail cell sometimes just just disconnecting because I find sort of I I know with a lot of I know this is not unique to myself but um something is the internet and like constant exposure to you know like news and and stress and email you know you never get a break from your school email. It's always going off right in your pocket and you're always looking at it. So something that has always helped me is just like, just putting my phone away. Um, or I really like sort of being outside, you know what I mean? Getting outside. It's not as, I guess, as helpful in the city. I I find often that I get overwhelmed in the city. You know, I'm from up North. I'm from a rural area and I used to be able to do a lot of sort of especially um, cultural self-care practices very easy up north. You know, I'd be able to go outside and like smudge in my backyard and or like bury tobacco and pray and all this kind of stuff. And I can't really do that in the city. You know, people I mean, a lot of weird stuff happens in the city. So I don't think anyone would give me that much of a look if I was like in a park burying some tobacco or something but I just feel self-conscious about it. I'm like okay I'm like I'm not gonna do that but um but yeah I I feel like to me the city is is kind of overwhelming sometimes to get out and 
be outside, but I know that you really like to be outside. <laughs> well, thanks for that segue, yeah, Boston. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I do love running as one activity you can do outside in a city fairly easily. I mean, that typically is road running. Um, there's a lot of great trails around here, uh, but what I've learned is if you get into serious trail running, you have to first get to the trails, which apart from like peak holes or something is uh, a little bit of a drive often. Yeah. So you need some more time on your hands, uh, whether it's a hike or a trail run. Um, so yeah, for me, in the last couple of years, started doing some training for half full marathon and some longer trail runs. And then the exciting thing about that is you could have a couple training seasons so that in between you can take some time off. Like right now I'm not running the same kind of distances. You can ease the load, not be as worried about it. Um, but it's something, if you're someone like me who likes to put their energy into something, and so if you are on your phone or whatever, instead of just reading news articles or looking at social media, uh, you start looking at, oh, when, what are the races? When are they coming up? Um, and being on a chat group with friends. It's basically another kind of friends group. Oh, what's the, the running chat about? Oh, they're going to go do a track workout or they're going to do a long run Saturday morning. Um, so it does give other forms of friendship and social ties. So I think you could, even though I'm talking about running right now, you could sub in so many other pursuits that you might enjoy, whatever they are, whether it's athletic or artistic um, and so on. Uh, I've got one friend who loves everything about on the island, about mushroom gathering and shellfish and all these things, which I find really cool, but I'm not going to invest the time to learn about them, to know how to eat these things safely, no. uh, harvest them and so on, or try to grow like mushroom logs in his backyard. And like, I love endlessly hearing these stories or sourcing these obscure fruits that grow on the island or other places like kumquats or different things. But I'm, again, I'm not driving to Sydney to buy a box of kumquats. Then I'm not going to come home and like spend the whole day pureeing these things and canning them. No, no. But I love the idea of it and I will partake in that kumquat jelly or whatever it is, yeah. things like that. So what I've come to realize is that Right, we can each pick an activity that we find grounding. Um, the thing with, for me, that's athletic, where it's body movement oriented, is it can help kind of de-stress and strengthen your body. And there can be a weekly discipline where it's more likely to happen. Because if you're training for a goal, say in four months time, sort of like a, sort of like a semester at university, like you have to, you might miss a lecture here or there, or you might not do all the reading, but you have to do the bulk of it, or you're gonna have some hard times when it comes to the final exam or the final paper or project. Um, so it has to be cumulative. You can't make it up in the last week unless you're just genetically programmed to get off the couch and run a full marathon, which 
you know, one out of 100,000 people can do. Um, but so there's that, I think, that weekly discipline. Um, so that's something I find invigorating. And then, yeah, with the benefits of employment, having access to to benefits, to access a therapist are just so important. And I realize how expensive that is. Not that I think therapists overcharge for what they do, but because that they don't have a salary typically, like that fee is their livelihood, and that does have to cover their own benefits if they subscribe to some other, if they themselves need therapy um, or other health benefits, they're either paying out of pocket or subscribing to some other benefits program, pension, and so on. So I, I totally get that. But it does mean that um, you need a certain amount of privilege in order to access that on a regular basis. So that's the unfair part of it. Uh, if you think about the way we structure healthcare. Now that we're going to turn this episode into the healthcare crisis, but there are some things that when they work well are within reach to everyone and some things are kind of more out of reach. Yeah, and, and I mean, I do, I do consider myself lucky that I can even, you know, even access a, a therapist like every, you know, seven, eight weeks or whatever when I need to. Um, but yeah, it is. I, and, but I am also, I feel like, um, blessed to not struggle that bad. You know what I mean? Like, like, of course, I have stress and some anxieties, but I'm not like diagnosed anxious or anything or I'm not, you know, depressed or I don't need to be seeing someone consistently like my what I mean is my my mental health is not uh, entirely detrimental to my health. Right. Um, but it is unfortunate for those that it is. I mean, it's because it's such an important part of our all of our lives. I, I know that some of the some older generation people like like I know even like people my mom's age and stuff like that are sort of they're hesitant to go they're hesitant to seek help because they think it means i don't really know actually it's i don't know if it's a proud thing or like i don't know what exactly what it means but some some people some older people are sort of hesitant to to access those kind of services but i know a lot of people my age are like no it's like vital to living basically right and yeah as a gen xer I think there are quite a few middle-aged people who are still hesitant about it, even if they might have access to health benefits at work because they see it as either weakness or um, not a priority to make time for, to book an hour in your week uh, every so often for that. Um, it could be a big hurdle to, to cross to get a process like that started. And I think fear of being vulnerable to someone you don't know, even though it's a relationship like any other, it's not like you go and you bear your soul the first therapy visit you have. Maybe some people do that. Yeah. But uh, it's also a trust that's built up over time. Um, so for those who do have access to mental health benefits, hope, hoping that people do that, and those who might not, have immediate access that we find ways to lower the barrier to access just like we do uh, with primary health care bracketing out 
the barriers that do exist to access primary health care. Um, but that we, we are trying as such. Like you can still walk into an emergency room or technically call a uh, walk a walk-in clinic. Oh, yeah, don't even, we don't even get started. No, don't even get started with Recently, that. we had a good experience with a walk-in clinic, so I'm just going to remember that. Yeah. Uh, where, where it all worked out, where we called in and there was a cancellation, got a kid in the same day. The clinic was one of these brand new ones. Everyone there was nice and no one was super stressed. It was like well, well managed. No one hated being there, oh, which is good because sometimes you call them and it feels like you're calling a phone bank oh, yeah. with 10,000 people and it, they just sound so stressed answering the phone. Yeah. Um, so you worry about their own health at the health clinic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I think about that, um, and I also wonder about different ways we could build community through that. Recently, um, I've been part of a group called Running in the Spirit, which I sort of inherited from another spiritual care provider here at Multifaith UVic, which is in Victoria. Um, and it was really just about spending an hour doing some running, doing some breathing, and kind of thinking about things, um, some thinking about spiritual uh, tie-ins with that. And so I sort of took that over, and I thought, well, how do we get some students at UVic running? How do we reach out also to people in churches? And maybe there could be a multi-faith aspect. Like, wouldn't it be amazing? to have have that so together about a dozen or more of us ran uh the royal victoria marathon 5k which is on the saturday of thanksgiving weekend canadian thanksgiving in october not to be mistaken with american thanksgiving for u.s friends in november um and so some of us will be doing the occasional 5k so if you live in greater victoria you think ah I'd really love to participate in a 5K, but I don't know anyone who does that or I don't want to join a clinic that lasts four months because I don't want to train for a half marathon or whatever it is. Um, yeah, reach out to us at Let's Talk Faith and Justice. We'll get you running a 5K. I bet a lot of people can walk a 5K and most of them have a 60-minute cutoff time. There you go. Usually a couple practices most people could manage could manage that. So we had a couple families, a bunch of kids. Everyone finished the 5K, so that was remarkable. A bunch did really well. I had to run a half marathon the next day, so I had to be careful not to treat it as an actual race. Yeah. But I ran with one of my kids and helped them get a best time under half hour. So I was happy with that without pushing things too much for myself. And then there's all these great treats afterwards it's like this great snack fest everyone's happy this was at a beach uh so you get to play at the beach after hang out with your friends have free chocolate milk galore eat all the snacks it's really quite fun um if you like if you like that i know some people hate running yeah, so say, you're not you're not you're not i'm not convincing me, me. no <laughs> this is for that percentage of the listening audience <laughs> yeah. for whom that appeals but to think about what are those other things, like some people like paddle boarding or just going to go sit next to the ocean and listen to the water run across the rocks or all the 
I mean, one thing I don't know is understand all the cold water plungers over here yeah. go jump in the gorge. People who, who say they're going to jump in nine degree water, nine degree Celsius water every day. Yeah. I know one couple, the first one who fails to jump in the Salish Sea every day has to cook the other supper, like a nice supper pretty good deal so each of them jumps in frigid cold water every day as their one of their self-care routines um you know we should probably also talk about liturgy yeah stuff we're connected to uh to inclusive christians connected to lutheran church of the cross in victoria and it's weird that it's almost that uh, it's hard sometimes to talk about Christian faith and some of our practices in terms of self-care in the Pacific Northwest because it's like not done really. Yeah. Right? Like it's okay to talk about meditation. Yeah. I get targeted ads for transcendental meditation and lots of new agey things. And like that is cool to talk. Like you could talk about that. But if you talk about Christian spiritual practices, like, whoa. Yeah. Like get get your cult away from me. Yeah, I that that is a good because so, I was gonna ask you um, if sort of in in your opinion what sort of a role like the church could play in in good mental health or like what you're talking like literally like um like I don't know if someone came to you as a pastor and was like you know like I'm struggling with mental health and I wanted to I don't know like I. I don't even know if I'm supposed I don't, this is a bad framing of this question, but you know what I mean? Like if someone wanted to take care of themselves, yeah. From the perspective of their, of their faith, like what would you suggest? I guess. Um, I think for like so many things, just like picking a sport or an art or cultural activity that it really could be tailored to the individual. Cause we're going to have different interests. Um, I think about seasonally in the church, like for the seasons of Advent, a time of waiting, a time of valuing darkness and silence, which is coming up. It's only four weeks. Um, we do like weekly Advent kind of meditative services. So it, people look forward to that. It's a, the darkest time in the year, typically in December, uh, leading up to Christmas and People just need a bit of that silence and they set that time aside to come for an hour. So something like that can be within reach because that's only four weeks. And you're like, well, I'll go to some of those. But if it's more like a weekly thing that you need, I think it depends on, yeah, what is restoring your energy. Some people really like meditative practices, which are popular among students on campus. That's where some kind of Christian centering prayer thing could be helpful. Um, some people like a more academic approach, which is also common on a university campus and would prefer a reading group or to read a text maybe that has a more spiritual component for themselves, like a daily reading meditation, and you just read a page or two of that a day yeah. and find that centering. So I think any of those works. Um, I think it's the discipline of choosing one and sticking with it for long enough for it to be helpful. 
Um, I like reading based stuff myself. I find that grounding. Um, I think, I think reading groups can be really important in that way. And I think sometimes the spiritual significance of that is poo pooed because there are some, something that has to have spiritual ethos of people physically sitting in a circle and doing a certain thing. Like we, we do have weekly kind of informal worship with inclusive Christians. And I do think that is restorative and students have said as much in that, but I, so there, there is that kind of traditional sense of worship or prayer or centering prayer meditation, but I think reading groups are also hugely, hugely important. I don't know. What's your, uh, what has your experience been? Well, (laughs) yeah, it's, um, one thing that I feel like I have almost, you know, okay, so we're, we're both Lutherans and Martin Luther. I actually, it's his birthday today that we're recording this. Look at that. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I think he was born at the, like the Lutheran world federation posted a, a, like happy birthday to Martin Luther. I got to get on Lutheran federation socials and, and something, they had a quote in there where he, I'm, I'm going to just look it up because I can't remember, but it was about prayer, but um, the importance of it. Um, just one sec here. I know we're recording. It's not like... I would I would love to see what that guy's daily schedule looked like because he wrote like 50 letters a day, seemed to write a book every three months, um, had a lot of kids. I don't think he did much of the child-rearing work. No. I'll let you find. Oh, you already found it. Yeah, yeah. The quote is: um, "To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing." So you know it is important, and I know. Um, so as a part of, I, I was recently in a class with the Lutheran Theological Seminary in October, and we were we went through like the small catechism, and there's a lot of pray prayer stuff in the small catechism. I mean, literally like. When you wake up, before you eat, after you eat, every single meal, when you go to bed, and other like ways that you can, whether it's a, so. But that's something that I I don't know. I guess yeah, maybe because I didn't grow up as a Christian, it doesn't always like come to my mind to do that kind of stuff. Where it's like, I, I don't know. But I also think that's um, I think prayer can mean a lot of things, right? Like, sort of the way that I was re- prayer was like you know you like kneel at the end of your bed and you like put your hands together and you like say a specific, you know, you recite specific words that you were taught and that kind of stuff. And I don't know, just sort of uh, the the way that I do it is almost like a bit of like a conversation, right? Like you just, and you don't have to be, you don't have to be standing. You don't have to be kneeling. Like you can be sitting or laying or, you know, like whatever you want. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's something that I, that it feels, I mean, like, yeah, like inclusive Christians every week. Like I, I, I don't go all often this semester, especially just because school's so busy, but it really does. Like, um, I remember this year, I think I, I wasn't able to go until about the end of September for the first time. And then when I went for the first, I was like, it felt like a, almost like a breath of fresh air. Right. It was like, Oh, like I've been missing this. It's been, you know, um, so, so yeah, I, I definitely see a benefit of it, but it's hard. It's one of those things, right, where you're like, 
ah, like, you know, talk about the time. Like, do I have the time to, you know, go for an hour and, and do this service where sometimes my school anxiety brain says, no, go home. Because <laughs> you got other stuff to work on. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you're also unusually doing a full-time law degree program, and you're also in seminary. So that's not every student uh, doing two intense studies at the same time. Um, the other thing, I mean, I, I think you have to watch with the kind of expectations of piety and stuff of like it shouldn't become you should do this, you should do that. That's not life sustaining and then we get back into the kind of trauma inducing side of christianity where people just use it as a threat basically a stick to threaten you with thou shalt do this thou shalt do that in a very negative way yeah so that's not helpful um so i think we want to see it in the more positive light and to think about martin luther um with this small catechism, which is this way of teaching households to instruct faith. This is at a time when most people were illiterate. And so they were printing out posters of like kind of instructional manuals that you could hang on your wall. And someone in the house who could read could teach everyone else. And then he had been an Augustinian monk up to that point. And so they were... Uh, praying all throughout the day and sometimes even unhealthily waking themselves up in the middle of the night constantly for prayer too, which kind of wonder what certain amount of that starts getting kind of weird. Having the negative. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Of like, we're going to sleep deprive ourselves because we need to subdue this evil flesh and make a conform to the holiness of God or something like then. You can venture into some cult-like territory when, you know, your whole life is being consumed by this one thing. I know we can't view um, medieval uh, religious practices just through a modern lens and say, that's weird. We don't do that anymore. What's the point of that analysis? So, but there could be correlates of things that, that do make sense. There are lots of new kinds of monasticism, right? People, um, I think about uh, like a Wendell Berry, who's a Roman Catholic in Kentucky, who's about land restoration and praying on the land and poetry. And all through Appalachia, there's a lot of that stuff. I lived in Virginia for 10 years. So there's a lot of the back to land movement that gets caught up with, um, spiritual practice, restoring creation. Some of that might dovetail without venturing into appropriation of uh, different indigenous groups talking about um, the land and culture, but without um, crossing that line into appropriation. So there might be kinship where you'd say, hey, some of this kind of goes together without saying it's the same thing or has the same source. So um, always careful to draw lines there. Those folks tend to just come at it from a Christian perspective, from what I've seen. But they'll think, you know, there's always some romanticizing, oh, of the early church. 
if we just take us back to the early church before Rome like bastardized Christianity and it became the dominant religion and we have it in its colonizing form today, there was this pure form of the faith, which is always a little bit mythic. Like there's some truth to what they're saying, but it can also be a bit like nobody really knows for sure what that looked like. So it becomes as malleable clay in your hand. Yeah. And you're like, well, I'm going to talk about a pre-colonial Christianity and it's this pure essence. And so you have to be careful of that, too. Yeah. And I know, yeah, Martin Luther, I I often I'm like, okay, Luther, how often did you actually say all this every single time you did? Like, especially after the Reformation, like, you know, you're talking about he had all these kids. I'm like, did you really say all these words every single time, you know, you were waking up and you were eating and you were going to bed? Like, really? Because sometimes I feel like maybe not. I don't think you did very much childcare. I don't think we're in a very equitably shared household. No, but he liked beer a lot. And so I'm like, did you really, every night you said, (laughs) you know what I mean? Right. You really remembered that every single night, but no, no. Um, Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, um, well, actually something though, it's interesting sort of talking about back on the land. Um, I had mentioned, it felt like a few episodes ago now that I was going to, I had a chance to be speaking at like a zoom event um with ray aldred and um math oh, i can't remember math pastor matthew's last name now though i feel anderson bad. yes yes thank you um their book our home on treaty land and a lot of that has to do with the connections between indigenous practices or like similarities between indigenous practices and practices of of pilgrimage and so yeah to pather pather Pastor Matthew Anderson, he talks a lot about his, it's, uh, I mean, I don't think, I don't know if he says this really specifically in the book, but, you know, pilgrimage to him is like extremely important, being out on the land and um, so c- could be considered a wellness practice, you know, it's like you're running, but without running, right? Well, he's, uh, I forget what the title is, but he's helping direct the pilgrimage um kind of program out in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Um, so that's something that some of us have actually looked into if that's something we wanted to take part in a structured pilgrimage in Nova Scotia. I think it's, they call it a Camino, okay. riffing off the the Camino in Spain and ways in which people take those kind of spiritual practices to other places too. Um, and I know that Matthew Anderson has said he'd love to be on this podcast sometime. So fantastic. We should just book him. Yeah, absolutely. He was just at an author event in Montreal. He's like, there's someone who's put out a book a year or two, maybe two books a year in the last little while. So really great to see so many, uh, kind of progressive Christian projects that are, they're getting produced. Yeah, Absolutely. But yeah, so yeah, just like I think there are there's a lot of potential for for connection between indigenous practices and and Christian practices. Um, I'm just looking at the time here where uh, we have a, usually an hour booking in CFUV and we're kind of coming close to the end and we still got to do some like editing right. and stuff. So sure. um, maybe just just wrapping up, like, do you have any last sort of thoughts? Um I think we should reach out to someone who specializes in civil rights 
theology and the kind of spiritual practices some of those people uh, developed. Sometimes they were combining it with um, studies of Gandhi. Some of it was different kinds of transcendental meditation. Um, but these were often people in their late teens and early 20s who were willing to sacrifice their life for direct action, like Montgomery bus boycotts, various things, freedom riders, where they were putting themselves directly in harm's way. And some of them were even signing wills. Like at 20, 21 years old, they had signed a will saying, if I don't come back from this direct action, these are my wishes. And so they were developing spiritual practices to help sustain them through that. And I think that's something we're lacking in the smartphone age, where it's like, quick, throw up a Facebook event, put this on Instagram, let's spread this through TikTok. And in like a couple of weeks or months, we've got this big event organized, which is great. But that in itself is not a movement and doesn't sustain people over time. And that's where spiritual practices, where we could really make inroads on campus, say between inclusive Christians, between offering spiritual practices and student political movements, that this is something that did happen during the civil rights movement. And we would do it not in some instrumental way to say, oh, well, churches are really diminishing in numbers and attendance. And, you know, one way to make church more appealing is if uh, we get people in, if we call it transcendental meditation, whatever it is, right? People see through that. That's just a con act. That's all that is. Um, But more authentic would be to say, we have shared interests. We really would like to see the world structured more equitably and fairly. And maybe there are some spiritual practices we could share. And maybe other people would say, I'm not really into the Lord's Prayer. I'm not really into the Apostles' Creed in this doctrinal structure that makes zero sense to me. And we could meet somewhere in the middle and say, that's fine. But maybe we could do this reading group or we could try some spiritual practices. And together that might foster some kind of community movement that could be long lasting so that we don't just attend the rally and say, now what? Or feel like we're utterly depleted because we organized the rally and now we're tired and nobody appreciates the work we do and no one's helping with the work or not enough people. So we need to find ways to sustain people through that. So that's something I think, I mean, that could be a whole podcast series, but I think at least one episode we could start there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for that. those final thoughts. And we should do our thank yous. Um, thank you to, as always, CFUV for having us, you know, allowing us to record in their nice studio here. I don't know if you can hear. There's a every Friday there's a live band show that goes on in here. So we could, we've been hearing some drums and guitars in the background. <laughs> we've been. I don't know if it picks up on the mics, but it's good. It's awesome. Um, and thank you to Uvic Multifaith. Uh, thank you to the BC Synod. Lutheran Church of the Cross and the ELCIC for supporting this work. Um, do I have anyone else to thank? Follow us on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Let's Talk Faith Justice is the handle. Yes, yeah. We've been posting about our recent live show, and, and I know you've been posting every time there's an episode posted that'll be on there. So 
keep keep track of what we're talking about on the podcast. Thank you for listening.